It is fun to be together this morning. I hope that you guys are, um, man, it just encouraged in the presence of God. Something beautiful and unique and special happens when we gather as the people of God and we all just fix our eyes on Jesus. And man, sorry, I just saw a good friend in the crowd. And I'm excited he's here this morning. I apologize. It distracted me. Teddy Clevenger, I'm really glad you're here, brother. So good to see you, man. Stud. Might be telling you a story about Teddy later. So, um, seriously, it's in my notes, actually. It's crazy you're here. Um, So, (laughs) praise God. Um, So, really fun to get to be together and be the family. And um, for those of you that I don't know yet, uh, my name is Chris Pletcher, and uh, my wife is sitting up here. It's Arlena. We've been a part of Antioch. Um, We've been coming to Antioch for about six six and a half, seven years. We've been, been on staff for the last three years. And we just love this family. And uh, I'm the family's pastor here. And so today, I, I'm, I get excited. I want to live excited for Jesus. Amen? Can anybody? Like, I want to live in excitement for Jesus because he's amazing. And if I could tell you my whole story and all he's done for me, it's like I have every reason to live on fire excited for Jesus every day. And so that's kind of my normal. I'm like extra excited this morning because I get to talk and preach on one of my favorite things that is on the heart of God, and that is the church, which is not this building that we're in. It is you guys. It is us. It is the people of God, the church. And we're in week two of a series that we started last week called Rooted, because we are called in Colossians 2.8 not to just receive Jesus and put our faith in him, but actually to walk out in him and go and root ourselves and be established in our faith. And so for the next six weeks, we are diving hard and heavy into the word of God because we want our roots literally to go deeper into the soil of his truth so that we can grow up and become the oaks of righteousness that he's redeemed us to be. All right? So I am fired up this morning uh, to, to dive in and, and, and really, God is going to do something special today. I really believe he, he has something for us. This is like a we kind of morning. So, um, it, and the cool thing is it's always a we kind of morning, but we just live so much, I think, kind of in a, in a me sort of mentality a lot of the time that most of us come to church thinking that it's about what God wants to do to, for me today. And so maybe could you just open your heart and see, hey, God, what do you want to do for us today? Because we are the people of God, and he's going to do something unique among us this morning. I really believe it. So if you were here last week, Mitchell, college pastor, he, he preached the gospel, okay, kicked off this series, and he preached it, y'all, with clarity he preached it with conviction. I mean, I've no, I like got saved by the gospel over 20 years ago, and it was like I was like about ready to, to give my life to Jesus again. Like, it was so powerful. If you didn't listen to it, like, go listen to it. So he walked through God's intention and in creating us, sin separation and breaking that fellowship with God, Jesus' invitation and in calling us back into relationship with the Father, and then our participation, which it was so clear. He said he, he really defined how we are called. Jesus invites all of us in to restoration with the Father. He invites all of us in to forgiveness of our sin and a reconnection with God. And our response is when we have this moment where we turn from our old way. We, we, the Bible says we repent from dead works and we put our faith in Jesus. Repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin where we turn away from one way of life into the life of Jesus. And 
When we turn our lives into Jesus, we have this incredible experience of the grace of God in, in our lives. We, we feel the weight of our sin and guilt lifted off for the first time. We feel the shame that has just held us down for so long. We feel it fall off. And for the first time in our lives, we may finally feel like we're, somebody really knows us and somebody really values us and somebody really loves us and we have a purpose. Can, any, can I get an amen that you experienced the grace of God and felt the weight of the, his goodness through the gospel? Salvation, and even just last week, we had 10 or 12 people between two services that raised their hand with every eye open to say, I'm repenting from my old way to turn into Jesus. And I just would ask, if, if you got saved, if you raised your hand last week and you're here again this week, would you show me, would you raise your hand? If you like put your faith in Jesus for the first time last week, I just got to see. Okay, that's fine. It's actually really going to help my point this morning. So anybody that like is here, maybe it wasn't here, but you got saved sometime in the last two or three weeks, like you put your faith in Jesus for the first time. All right, this is really going to help my point this morning. All right, so that's not why I asked the question. I'm actually a little disappointed. But <laughs> salvation is a great miracle. But listen, what happens next is so important. Salvation is just the beginning. And what happens next is hugely important for the children of God. I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story. When I was 16 years old, I heard the gospel and I repented for my sin and I turned my life into faith in Jesus. I was at a summer camp and I, and it was a powerful, wow, this is what I was made for kind of moment. But what happened was I went home from camp that week and I was pretty much on my own. I didn't get pulled in to the family. I didn't get pulled in. And so what happened was I tried my hardest to walk with God on my own for about a month. And about a month in, I came up against my first like really big test of temptation. And I failed miserably, like flat on my face. And I was crushed with this very new experience of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Crushed. And I didn't know what to do with it. I felt so guilty that I figured that I must just not be a Christian at all. I tried and, and I failed. Or maybe I'm just not a very good Christian. Anybody like been there? And so I fall flat on my face and guys, actually, I stopped walking with God. And things actually got worse in my life over the next two years than before I was a Christian. Because I was, I was, I had had this awakening but I didn't get pulled in to the family to help me to know what to do. So I was on my, I was a sitting duck. And over the next couple of years, it, things got worse and I was miserable and I was miserable. So what's supposed to happen though, when you turn your faith into Jesus, the first thing is that God adopts you. The father adopts you. We're going to see more of that this morning. But then the second thing is after the father adopts you, you're supposed to be embraced by the brothers and sisters because you're being pulled into a family. Okay, and so then you're you're belonging in this family. And that is why the Bible very clearly calls the church the household of God. The church is the household of God. And it's not just a church slogan. Hey, come to Antioch where you become family. Okay, we're not just like putting tweeting this or whatever on Instagram. Like we're not. I know you don't tweet on Instagram. Okay, (laughs) you tweet on Facebook and you post. I'm just kidding. Okay. But it's not just some slogan to build our church. 
Where you become family is a biblical reality, guys. And from a guy whose parents, my parents divorced when I was 14 years old. Christmas, Christmas of my eighth grade year, they sat us down in the living room. Merry Christmas, we're getting a divorce. By the next summer, my dad had moved out. And I start my freshman year of college with two houses now. And I get to have the joy of, of driving back and forth between them every few days. By my junior year, my dad remarried another woman that had kids at my high school. My senior year of high school, my mom remarried another guy that had kids at my high school. Okay? Do you hear that? So in four years, my family went from our little family of five to pff, here we go. Now I've got stepbrother, stepsister, stepmom, stepdad, and they're all like at my high school. So trust me when I tell you that where you become family is not a catchy phrase. It is a biblical reality because the people of God, when I turned my life into Jesus, my freshman year of college, after the two terrible years, the people of God became my family. And I'm not kidding you guys. I still love my earthly family and, and, I, and they did the best that they can. And I have great relationships with them and I love them. And God is moving, work, working in different ways. But the people of God became my family. And for the last 17 years, guys, I've had more brothers and sisters than I know what to do with. I can't even spend time with all of them. I've got more mothers and fathers that enrich me in the faith. I can't even glean all the wisdom. I am lacking in nothing in my family. Lacking in nothing. Because I've been saved. I've been adopted. I've been brought into the family of God. And that is the church. Say it with me. The church is not a building. It's a people. The church is not a building. It's a people. And if you, maybe you've heard that a hundred times, or maybe that's the first time you've heard that, but it's going to, it's going to get in your heart before you walk out of here today. The Greek word for church in the New Testament shows shows up 74 times, and it's the word ekklesia. It's from two Greek root words put together. One is kaleo, which means to call, and the other is ek, which means out of. Ecclesia, the, what we translate church, means the called out ones. You've been called out of the world into the kingdom of God. You've been called out of darkness into marvelous light. You've been called out from being an orphan, from being alone, from being trapped in whatever you are in, to belong to the family of God. That is the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. And in 1 Timothy 3.15, we see that this ecclesia, the church, has two incredibly important functions. Number one, this is from Paul to Timothy. He's saying, look, I'm, if I delay in coming to visit you, I want you to know what, how people ought to behave in the household of God. And he describes it, which is the church of the... Let's just read it together. How one ought to behave in the household of God which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. I really just wanted all you guys to say buttress, because what does that word even mean? Um, I actually looked it up. It means a support structure. It means a stabilizer. So the church is not a building. The church is a... Okay, we're going to get this in us in the next 20 minutes, all right? The church is not a... It's a people. So the people of God have two primary functions to be a family, the household of God. Who lives in a household, guys? Thank you. And to be 
the pillar or the stabilizer of the truth. So we are actually supposed to carry and be the stabilizing influence of truth in this world that is so jacked up with brokenness and lies. Us. The framing and the sheetrock and the steel of this building cannot hold any truth in it. But you can. We are the household of God, the family, and the pillar and stabilizer of the truth. So it's incredibly, incredibly, incredibly important that we have this accurate understanding of our identity as the people of God and our calling as the people of God, what it means to be his church. So I need you to flip to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to chew through the word today. I hope you are hungry. I hope you got a journal or an iPhone, and I hope you take notes because this is not a spectator sport here. We are a family, and God has something for every single one of us today. Every single one of us. So I told you that the word ecclesia shows up 74 times in the Bible, in the New Testament, the, the, it shows up nine times in the book of Ephesians. So Ephesians is the New Testament letter that talks about the church the most. So if you want more vision than what you're going to get this morning, dive into Ephesians and chew on it. It is powerful, powerful stuff for the people of God. So we're going to go after three corporate identities this morning. We're chewing off a lot here. So I need like if you're not awake, I mean, like, come on, like, give a little slap on the cheek. Like, you came to church this morning because you're hungry for more, right? You, like, want to grow. We're doing this awesome series called Rooted, and you want to get your roots deeper in God so you can flourish. Amen? Amen? Amen. Okay, so we're going for three corporate identity pieces, three corporate calling pieces, and then three lies that keep us from that calling. And by the end of the service today, we're going to be uprooting lies left and right, and the Spirit of God's going to fill this place, and it's going to be amazing, okay? So we're going to have fun today, and the invitation is for you to come along with us, okay? So corporate identity number one, Ephesians 1, 1 through 4. Ephesians 1, 1 through 4. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus. Stop right there. Do you guys know that Ephesians and almost every other New Testament letter was not written to you, was not written to me, it was not written to an individual, it was written to groups of people. They were written to the saints. Corporate identity number one is that in Jesus, when we repent of our dead works and we put our faith in the living God who was slain for our sin to redeem and ransom and forgive us, we are his saints. We are his holy ones. The word saint means holy ones. It means set apart. And he goes on further to unpack it here in verse uh, three and four, verse four, he said, even as he, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. How many of you feel holy and blameless? Be honest. Okay, we need to fix that because in Jesus, you are holy and blameless. I saw some hands from first service saying, yeah, I know I'm holy and blameless now. You are holy and blameless in Jesus. It's part of your identity as his redeemed one, as his family. He goes on in verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. 
the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. In Jesus, you are a saint. If you're not a saint, you need to get saved. I'm serious, because if you've repented and put your faith in Jesus, you're a saint. If you're not a saint, half the New Testament's not written to you. So you need to get saved. But if you've turned from your old ways and put your faith in Jesus, you're a saint. Praise God. Corporate identity, number one, we need to know that we're his saints. Corporate identity, number two, pick it up in verse five. It says that in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Do you know, church, that if you are in Jesus, that we have been adopted by our heavenly father, that we have been adopted as sons and daughters. We are his children. We are his saints. We're his holy ones by the blood of Jesus. We are his children. Down in verse 11, it says, in him we've obtained an inheritance. Who gets an inheritance? The kids. The kids get the inheritance of their father. So you've been adopted by the blood of Jesus, by a good and perfect heavenly father, to belong to a family as a son and daughter of the living God. And you have an inheritance. That means everything that belongs to God, if you're in Christ, belongs to you. Wow. Now, you got to grow up as a child, and you got to mature, because how many of you guys know, my son right now, he's five years old, and everything that I have is his. But I'm not giving him the keys of my car yet, because he's not mature enough to steward the power. Whoa, do you know that everything of God's is yours right now? And if you'll just keep walking with him and keep developing your maturity and keep growing up, growing up, growing up, then you'll get to learn and use more of the father's stuff. But you're not not because you earned it, just because he's your dad and you grew up. Man, we're his children. Corporate identity number three. I got to say something on this real quick on number two. I'm sorry. Guys. When, when my firstborn son was, was born about five years ago, he was a, a few months old, and I was, I was holding him in my arms. Guys, I've, I've been walking with Jesus for 17 years, and I'm not really sure. I really believed I was his child until, like, I had my own kids. So I'm, like, holding my son. Okay, he's a few months old, and I'm just singing over it. Like, I just start singing. Like, I'm making up, not a song I knew, just like, you're amazing. I love you. Wow, you're so sweet. I'm just like, and it hits me. In the moment, I'm like singing over my son, and the Holy Spirit just nailed me with revelation. And he said, Zephaniah 317, I rejoice over you with singing. Why? Because you're my child. And I'm just sitting here spontaneously singing over my kid. And God's like, you need to believe that that's what I do to you. It's time for you to actually believe that you're my child, and I love you as much as I say I love you. Church, it's time for us to actually believe the, the countless hundreds of references where he tells us that we're his children and he loves us. We got to get that truth in here and out of here, which we're going to do this morning. I'm giving you a little preview where we're going. We're his children. And then lastly, here, our third corporate identity is we are his anointed ones. Verse 13, we're still in Ephesians 1, guys. We're only 13 verses in, right? It says, in him... When we heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and 
believed in him, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The moment you turned away from your old life to believe in Jesus, you got infected by holiness, okay? You got infiltrated by the spirit of holiness. He sealed you like a mason jar. He was like, all right, here we go. New heart, Holy Spirit, boom, bottle it up, sealed with the spirit. So if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you are now, you have this, the, 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 another translation says, the first down payment of your inheritance. You have been given a deposit of holiness in your life. So let me tell you what's going to happen. That holiness is going to win, okay? That deposit of holiness in your life, it is never gonna stop coming after you. The Holy Spirit wants to take over your whole life with holiness, and he's not gonna quit until he has all of it. And so when you have the Holy Spirit in your heart, there's, only, there's two choices for what you can do because he's gonna try to make us more holy. He's gonna give you some input. He's gonna convict you. He's gonna show you your sin and wanna lead you away from it. You got two choices, you turn and listen to him when he convicts you. And Proverbs says, if you turn at my correction, I will pour out more of my spirit in your life. So when he corrects you, you can say, yes, daddy, I receive your correction. Or the only other option is you harden your heart and you ignore his voice. If you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, he is going to be trying to get you fully holy. Yeah. He wants to redeem your entire life because it is the best thing for you. Yeah. And he's never going to stop chasing you down. You got two choices. Turn when he corrects you and receive more or harden your heart. And then next time he'll be louder and you'll have to harden your heart more. And then next time he'll be louder and you'll have to ignore him even more. Just like my son running out in the street, Caleb, 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 Caleb. And by the time you've gotten over here, you've hardened your heart so much that you're not even listening for your father anymore. And that is a scary place to be. Because you can't even enjoy sin over here because you've been infected with holiness. It's not even fun. Yeah, some of you are like, oh man, yep. Sin's not that fun when the holiness is in you. Okay, there's a great simple answer. It's just repent. Okay, when the Holy Spirit is convicting you because he wants to make you more holy, you just say, yes, daddy, come on, make me more like you. This is actually where your fullness of joy is found over here. If you turn at his correction, he will pour his Holy Spirit. So guys, we are his saints. We are his children. And we are his anointed we are anointed with the Holy Spirit of God inside of us, all right? So that brings us to our corporate calling. I want you to look at Ephesians 2, 18. I know we're covering a lot of ground. Are you guys okay? Yeah. Isn't it good news that you're his children, that you're saints, that we are anointed in the Holy Spirit? So here's our corporate calling, verse 18 in chapter 2. For, for, for through him... We have access in one spirit to the Father. Praise God. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Man, we can't get away from this household thing. It's like we're supposed to be a family or something. He says that this household is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus is the cornerstone. And now this whole structure... 
stay with me, being joined together, say together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together. Say built together. Built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. A household is somewhere where somebody lives. In the Old Testament, God lived in the temple and bottled himself in this little place called the Holy of Holies, and we could get there once a year through a priest. Now, in the new covenant, what is his household? Us. Thank you who has said that, man of God. We are his household. So that means where does he want to dwell? Among us. And it's among us as we're built together, as we're joined together. So that means every single one of you, of me, of us, we all have to be built up into this thing together. You see, God comes and he dwells with his people, not because we have one anointed speaker up here, or not because we have this great band with seven, six or seven people and that they're all just nailing it. I mean, they're nailing it, okay? But the, God's not coming and dwelling with us because we have seven people that are worshiping Jesus. He's coming and dwelling because there's probably another 100 or 200 of you out there that are also just worshiping Jesus. And so you coming into this place and choosing to engage with God actually affects all of our experience of his dwelling. Wow. We are built up together into a corporate dwelling place for God himself. And so in order to do that, we have to all participate. We have to all bring our gift and serve the family. In, in chapter 4, flip with me over here to um, the verse 11 in Ephesians 4. How do we become a dwelling place for God? We do this in verse 11. He says, he's talking about the gifts that he's given through his spirit. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Who are the saints? Come on, okay, we're getting it. I love it. We are the saints. He's equipping us for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature. Do you see the language of maturity? We're growing up, guys. God is not I'm growing up. We are growing up as a family. We are raising a family here. And we are growing up into a maturity of something that God can come and dwell among in greater measure. And your part really matters. Look, in verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And from the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, say every joint, every joint. with which is, it is equipped when each part, say each part, is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see, God is raising us up together. Okay, we're already his family. We're already his children, right? But how many of you know, my son, Caleb, he's five years old. Everything that I have is already his, but I'm not going to give him the keys to my car yet. I'm not having deja vu. I said that a second time on purpose, okay? 
I'm not going to give him the keys of my car until he's matured. The same goes not just for us as individuals, for us corporately, guys. We are growing up because God wants to entrust us with more of himself. But I need you to do your part. I need you to do your part. I need you to do your part, not me, he. We all, every part, each part has to work properly. You have a place. You have a gifting. We need you to come. We need you to worship. We need you to get involved in whatever. We need you to pour your life out unto Jesus. And once we all do our part more, once we all do our part properly, we're built up into this dwelling place for God. Are you with me? Now, there's a few things that hold us back from the fullness of this experience, okay? So now we're going we're gonna to talk about three lies that keep us back from growing, right? Picture our church as, we're, we're as a body, right? Because that's what the Bible says. We're a body that's growing. And there's a few things that are keeping us from, from growing. Another way to think of it is, is picture our church as a garden, And the Lord is wanting to raise up some beautiful stuff. But we actually, sometimes a truth cannot get into our hearts because a lie is already planted in its place. And so if God is wanting to grow something up and to build us something up, see, a lot of us guys, you're thinking, I know I'm a saint. I've known that for my whole life. But it's not here. You still walk around half the time, oh, I'm such a struggling sinner. And you primarily think of yourself as a broken, struggling sinner. And so that is actually keeping you from, from this was me. This was a, lot, a large part of my first 10 years of walking with God. I didn't really believe I was a saint. I still thought I was this weak, struggling sinner. And then I realized, wow, he's already done it all. He's already called me holy. You see, you know it in your mind. We know in our minds, oh, God loves me. I'm his child. But in our hearts, we feel so distant from the Father. We don't really believe he loves us as much as he says he loves us. Because something happened and a lie got planted in the place of where this truth is supposed to be. And so these corporate identities, God is wanting to get them deeper in us. But there's some stuff that's got to go. There's three main things that got to go. And so this next part, I'm going to invite the band up here because this next part is where we need, it's like, we're the family of God. It's like, it's time to go to work together. We're doing some spring cleaning. Are you with me? It's like, we got some stuff in our house that needs to get out to the curb. We got some weeds in our garden that need to be pulled. Because God's growing us up into a spiritual house, amen? And he wants to live there, and God can only fill the rooms that are empty. And we got some junk in our rooms, some lies that are keeping up space where he wants to come in. Are you guys with me? Okay, so who's ready to uproot some lies? Take some trash out to the curb this morning. All right, so there are three main lies that I believe and as we've talked, this isn't just me, we've talked with our church staff. And guys, what, is, what are you seeing? What are you experiencing? Three main lies that keep us from growing into the full household, okay? And, and I'm going to tell you the three of them, then we're going to walk through, through them, and I'm going to explain a little bit why we call them what we call them. But the, the three main lies are the performance spirit, the orphan spirit, and the religious spirit. 
And why, wait, what do you mean spirits? Why are you calling these spirits? Well, because you guys know that we have a good father. He's a God of all truth. We also have an enemy. He's called the father of lies, right? So if you're, so lies come from someone. They don't just float around in the air. It's not just information. Lies are actually spiritual. Lies are actually false spirits sent from the enemy to do something really destructive in your life. I'm a, I'm, if this truth sets you free, then lies create. If the truth sets you, then lies create. You seeing that? So the enemy, the father of lies, wants to plant lies in your garden where God wants to plant the truth that you're a saint. He wants to plant some other lie in there to keep you in bondage and leave you at a lower, you're a believer, you're a child of God, but you're living at a lower experience of God's love for you because you're in bondage to a lie. So we identify the lies and we repent because how many of you know that it is sin God's called me his child. If I believe a lie from the enemy that says I'm an orphan, that's on me. I need to repent for believing something that's not true and put my faith in the word of God. So we're going to do some repentance together as a family. Like eyes open. If this is you, raise your hand. And let me just tell you, in first service, I mean, there were hundreds of hands across this thing and every single one of these, okay? So you're not going to be alone, I promise you. And just the only reason I'm familiar with these things is because I've walked through all of them and been on a journey to get free from all of them. So the first one, are we okay, guys? The first one is the performance spirit. Think about it. The second you place your faith in Jesus, you're a saint. You're already holy. You're already blameless. Yes, there's work to become holy. There is a journey, right? But the performance spirit wants to come against you and actually say, no, you're not a saint. You're not holy. But if you work really, really hard and try to do lots of good stuff and keep all the rules, then maybe you'll become better. And so the performance spirit sounds like this. It feels like I'm never good enough. I can never do enough. When I sin, God feels distant and I kind of have to work my, my way back in. I don't know enough to share my faith with other people. Maybe once I get smarter, I'll be able to share the gospel. Let me tell you, if you know enough of the gospel to get saved, you know enough of the gospel to share it with somebody else. But the performance spirit wants to keep you on this treadmill of where you're always like, oh, I'm not good enough. I just need to try a little harder. I need to try harder. And you're like, and you live in this place of, of constant failure. Speaking from experience. Everyone can be around you saying, man, you're like a faithful man of God and you're walking in this and that. And you could be standing here saying, oh, no, no, I'm not good enough. No, it's, I got to give more. I got to do more. Because you're stuck. You don't believe that Jesus has already called you a saint. So if that's you and you identify with that performance mentality, 
performance spirit, which is a lie, I want you to be bold. And with me, because I've been down this road many times, I want you to raise your hand if you identify with performance spirit this morning. Praise God for a bold church that knows it's the kindness of God. Keep your hands up. That leads us to repentance. There's a three-step process for breaking free from lies. The first one is you have to repent because you chose to believe. Yeah, you can put your hand down if you need to take notes, okay? Repent for believing the lie. Reject the lie. Get it. Say, I reject that junk, and I'm getting it out of my life, and then you're receiving a truth. You're, you're uprooting. You got to see the, lights, the, the lies. You can yank it out of your garden, toss it away, and say, okay, God, I got some nice soil here that's ready to receive the truth. Are you with me? What do you want to plant here in the place of this lie? Okay, so put your hand back up if that's you, performance spirit, okay? We're going to corporately repent, and I'm going to ask you to repeat after me, all right? So we can close our eyes. We're going to be talking to God. Say, Father God, I repent for partnering with the performance spirit, for believing that I could work to be better. Instead of believing that I'm already blameless because of Jesus. So I reject the lie of the performance spirit. I pull it out of the ground and I toss it out of my garden. So now I want you to ask the Lord, I just between you and God, I want you to position your heart to receive a truth now about your identity as his saint. And I want you to ask God this simple question. Say, Father, who do you say that I am? And I hope you heard something like, you're perfect in my sight. You're blameless in my sight. You've already been made holy. Cease striving, my daughter. It's done. My work is finished, so you don't have to work anymore. What he said to me was, get off the performance treadmill. You're running so hard and not getting anywhere. Rest and receive your identity as a saint. Thank you, Jesus. If the Lord said, it was just, let's just corporately, guys, just thank God. Thank you, Jesus, for the truth that you put in our hearts. Thank him for what he just spoke to you. Thank him for what our truth he just put in place of that lie. And Lord, we ask that you would rid our church family of the performance spirit in Jesus' name, that we would abide in peace and security and our identity, knowing that we are your saints and it's in the blood of Jesus. You've done it, Lord. Lead us into more freedom, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The second lie, the second spirit that comes in because the truth sets you, lies create. So the second lie that wants to enslave us at a lower level of experiencing God 
is the orphan spirit. The orphan spirit, guys, it's amazing. Jesus, when he, when he was talking to his disciples about how he was going to send the Holy Spirit, you remember what he said to them? He said, I do not leave you as orphans. It was a promise of Jesus about the Holy Spirit. And then Galatians 4 tells us that the Holy Spirit that he sends into our hearts is the spirit of adoption. You see, we are children of God, but the father of lies wants to tell us that we're still orphans because if he can get the lie of the orphan spirit inside of our heart, he takes up the real estate where the spirit of adoption is supposed to be planted, where we cry out, Abba, Father, and we know that we're his sons and daughters. Guys, the orphan spirit crushed me for most of my life until I had the tools to see it and rip it out of my garden and say, I have nothing to do with you. I am a child of God. I've been adopted by my perfect heavenly father. And even though my family was unspeakably broken in high school and I felt like an orphan and I didn't feel like I had a mother or father or a family to call my own, my father in heaven adopted me and he brought me into the family of God and I have more than I could ever want. I'm not an orphan. I'm an heir. All things. Jesus. The orphan spirit sounds like I'm alone. I don't belong. There's no room for me in this family. I'm not gifted enough to contribute. I'm not needed in this family. If you've partnered with the orphan spirit and this sounds like your life, I want you to raise your hand in boldness. We're going to get free this morning, church. Put your hand up. Praise God for a bold church that knows the kindness of the Father leads us to repentance and freedom from the bondage, the lie of orphanhood. We've been adopted sons and daughters of the living God. So if you've got your hand up, just put it on your heart. I invite you to repent. Because God has told us time and time again that we're not alone. He's told us time and time again that he's our father. And yet we are still choosing to believe the lie of the orphan spirit. So I want to invite you into repentance. Say with me, Father, I repent for partnering with the orphan spirit, for believing the lie that I'm alone, believing the lie that I don't belong, for believing the lie that I don't have a family. I rip that lie out of the garden and I toss it to the side in Jesus' name. So Lord, here's another part of my heart that's been prepared now to receive the truth from you. So in exchange for that lie, I just want you to ask your heavenly father, I want you to ask him, who do you say that I am? church and he shared this with me he said you know months and months ago somebody 
somebody shared with me this shared with me this question of being asked God who do you say that I am but I've been afraid to ask him I've been afraid to ask him because I didn't know I was going to like what he said and so this morning as you led us through and, and you led me through repentance of this orphan spirit he said I, I ask God what do you think of me and he said he told me guess what he told me he said I adore you guy's got tears coming down his face because he adores me because he does just like me holding my child my son and singing over him he adores you he adores us he spilled his own blood and broke his own body to welcome us in sons and daughters not to leave us struggling and feeling like orphans who don't belong for the rest of our lives it's not the gospel. So Jesus, we thank you. And we pray that the orphan spirit would get out of our church in Jesus' mighty name, that we would grow up into full measure of the staturehood of Christ, into full maturity as children of God, sons and daughters that don't have to strive to get more, but to realize they just got to ask their daddy because God wants to give you more, not because you worked for it, but because you're his daughter, because you're his son. So if that's you this morning, you have the freedom to ask your father, say, Father, I want more of you. I want more of you and I receive it as a gift. I don't have to go spinning my wheels for it and striving. You give it to me because you're my father and you love me. So we receive in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to stand with me for this last one here. Just so you know, if you're raising your hand for more than one, that's okay. Okay, I told you this, these are all from my journey. And um, I talked to a couple of guys after the first service, and I was, like, I was like, hey man, did you raise your hand for anything this morning? He's like, yeah, man, you got me on all three. I was like, praise God, all right? So if you're having the trifecta this morning, you're in good company, okay? It means God loves you, and his kindness is leading you to... Come on! Because the Holy Spirit's inside of you. You've been infected in Jesus, and he's going to tug on your heart until you're holy, holy his, holy redeemed. Because it's the best thing for any of our lives is to be who God has made us to be, which is holy. The third lie, the third spirit sent in to keep us in bondage is the religious spirit. Jesus sealed us with the Holy Spirit and he says this is what you need to be led I've given you all that you need how many of you know that the religious spirit wants to come in and say hey don't rely on that loosey-goosey Holy Spirit guy inside of you just find a better set of rules and and subscribe to the law and let's be real religious and do all the right stuff sound familiar to anybody okay You've been given the Holy Spirit. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So you might be partnering with the religious spirit. I want you to picture a bicycle wheel. You've got the hub in the middle, and you've got all these spokes going off, okay? So 
if, if your life is the center of your wheel and you have these spokes going off and so you've got your family, you've got your workplace, and you've got your church. If church is a spoke on your wheel, you're probably partnering with the religious spirit. Can I tell you why? Because if the church is a spoke on your wheel, then church becomes something that you do instead of something that you are. It is good. It is good because God wants to, us to pull the church from being something that we do to being the center of who we are. The church, and I'm not talking about this brick and mortar building. I'm talking about the people of God become the center hub of my life around which everything else spins. And how many of you know the wheel turns a whole lot better when the right thing's at the center? I want to tell you a story about my buddy who's here this morning. About two years ago, a dear friend of mine, his family was in shambles. He literally Googled churches and college station and came to Antioch on a Sunday morning. His family was on the brink of collapse. The second week he came to Antioch, by the way, they live 45 minutes out of town and had to drive quite a way to meet with God. Some of us won't even drive 10 minutes to our life group on Wednesday night. That's a conviction for a different day. So, <laughs> second week he's here on a Sunday morning, Mitchell Welch preaches the gospel and asks who wants to turn their life away from their sin into Jesus. And, and this guy raises his hand and he gets saved. And over the next year, his family starts to revolve their life around the people of God. He starts coming to Antioch, driving 45 minutes an hour away every Sunday morning just to revolve his life around the people of God. They start driving in again every Wednesday night to get into a life group and start revolving his life around the people of God. He didn't change his profession. He didn't change a degree. He was a principal at a high school and it's in a town about 45 minutes away from here. But he changed what he put at the hub of his heart and he started revolving his life around the people of God and they got transformed. It was a process, a journey, but within the next year and a half, they got the kingdom of God, this stuff inside of them. Not a year after getting saved, he starts a faculty life group on Wednesday morning at the school where he's a principal. And he starts, he just literally just saw what we did in life group and started doing it on Wednesday morning. So he's like, hey, I got a song sheet here, so, you know, and then we're going to do the disciple receives the Holy Spirit. And he's just like literally doing life group on Wednesday morning, right? Well, it brings such a transformation to his life and his family and his world that he ends up actually getting a, a promotional opportunity. And just this past year, he got to move to a different town in Texas because he left the impact of the kingdom in that one already. Now it's time to go get another one. And he goes and he just started his principal job at this new city, this new town. And he's there not two weeks and he calls me and he says, Chris, we just had our first Wednesday morning faculty life group. <laughs> I'm like, come on, Teddy, that's awesome, you know? And I'm fired up. And then he calls me a few days later, and he goes, hey, man, you know, we, our district does this see you at the pole thing, right? Where we gather in the morning, we pray, and then, well, we have this assembly tonight at 6 o'clock. And um, the student group, they, they want me to speak at it. They're giving me a 30-minute slot. I'm like, Teddy, bro, they want you to preach. <laughs> Guys, this guy's only known Jesus for a couple years, right? 
but he revolved his life around the people of God. He didn't change his profession. He just revolved his life first around the presence of God in his morning devotional time, and then around the people of God through life group and Sunday mornings. And this guy's been infected with holiness. He's anointed in the Holy Spirit. And now they want him to get up and preach in front of 300 people in the Teague High School basketball auditorium. He's like, what do I do, man? <laughs> they gave me Ephesians 3:14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. I say, Teddy, you better get on your knees, bro, and bow them before your Father and ask him to give you something good. And he did. And he called me the next night. And he goes, Chris, he sent me his notes. And I'm like blown away. I'm like, who is this guy? You know, literally his message was five ways to position yourself to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit every day. What? It's crazy. I couldn't even preach that message. Okay. Maybe I could, Teddy. We'll we'll work on it. But so he gets to the end of his message. I know this this is such a great story, guys, because this is what happens when we get rid of the religious spirit and we just get vision for being the people of God. He finishes his message, and just like an Antioch Sunday morning, he has a prayer team come up to the front, guys, and on Wednesday night in the high school, with all this auditorium, he says, hey, if you want to respond to this message, come on down, and people just start coming out of the seats to respond, because how many of you know, he's a saint. He's a child of God. He's sealed with the Holy Spirit. There's nothing more special or unique about him than any one of us. He just believed who God said he was, made himself available, and brought it. And people got their lives touched. So if you've partnered with the religious spirit and you have made the church a hub on your will, and sorry, a spoke on your will, instead of the center hub around which your life revolves, I want to invite you with me to repent this morning for making church something that you do and instead of who you are. So I want you to I want you to raise your hand if you need to repent from the religious spirit this morning. And it's beautiful, guys. Praise God for a bold people. We get to take the church off from being a spoke on our wheel to being the hub of our lives around which everything else revolves. So say, Jesus... I repent for partnering with the religious spirit. And I take your church off of the spoke of my wheel of my life, and I put it at the heart of my life to live amongst your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're almost done. So here's the deal. Remember, the point of this whole thing is that we become a dwelling place for the spirit, right? The point is not that we get rid of all this stuff. The point is that we become a dwelling place for the Spirit. But we got to get rid of the stuff to be a dwelling place, right? Okay, so now now we're going to respond together, and we're going to ask God to make us that dwelling place. And that's how we're going to finish. We're going to just worship. Are you with me? Okay, let's do it. Come on, Lord Jesus, we invite you.